Hey there, chocolate lovers. If you'd like to watch the video version of this podcast, you can find it on our Craft Chocolate TV YouTube channel. So now, I think you're a good person to talk to about this. All right. We're going to do the history of Witch's Broom. Let's, let's say a quick history of Witch's Broom because yeah. of time's sake. Right. Can you please tell us a little bit of the rise of cacao in Brazil and specifically Bahia? Yeah, well, uh, Bahia, due to the fact that this biome is so close to the Amazon biome where, you know, cacao naturally appeared and occurs, um, back in the late 17th century, uh, some monks brought cacao over here to this region. And obviously it wasn't a commercial crop until the late nine, 19th century. And that's when actually my great grandfather came over to this region. And a lot of other settlers started, um, the planting cacao. So we're saying like 1880s, 1880s, 90s. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before that, there was already a movement, but it wasn't really. I think uh, something that was looked at as a real good commercial and viable uh, production uh, agriculture. And um, throughout the early 1900s, I think this really grew exponentially. And uh, eventually in the 20s and 30s, Brazil uh, and Ecuador were both like uh, fighting for leadership in, in, in cacao production in That's the world. the largest Producers. As the largest producers. And it was getting shipped to? To Europe mainly. Right. Uh, and, um, and then after that, uh, I think there was uh, in the 40s and 50s, starting in the 50s, I think they started really doing research into varieties and into production. And in the 60s, finally, there was a a body created, a, um, an, an institute almost created to really help farmers develop um, their crops and their production. So Brazil is, was very active and especially the state of Bahia, which is mainly where cacao was grown uh, throughout the years uh, here in Brazil uh, to become really a, a, you know, a, a main source of cacao for the world. Right, so my understanding is Bahia was producing so much that it was then going to Europe, and it was the first time that chocolate began to become a little more affordable, a little more widespread um, for just about everybody. Was sure. like early 1900s, right? Absolutely, and also the fact that uh, eventually chocolate became a bar. It was no longer right. just a drink. Right. So I think once it became a, a product that you could take with you and just you know eat anywhere and didn't need to drink mm -hmm. it. It made it easier to consume. It made it easier to consume. And then eventually the demand for cacao increased, not only from Brazil, I'm pretty sure from other which, countries. The which was felt heavily here as people went into the forest and did this, these cabruca systems that we were just talking about, sure. but huge, right? Huge. Yeah. A lot um, of immigration happened. Absolutely. A lot of people came to, yeah. to work the cacao field, so. For sure. No, I, I mean, locally, I think this was, was really, I mean, at one point for the state of Bahia, um, as a, a, a national, a, a state product, not a national product, but even as a national product, cacao really had an impact on the commercial scale of exports 
for Brazil. Yeah, and I'd always heard of Bahia having a lot of cacao still, but I was surprised when I got here to see the trash cans are in the shape of cacao pods, <laughs> and a lot of the drinks have <laughs> cacao juice in them. Right. It's just still very prominent in the culture it's built in at this point. So I think like it started, the first industry really was cacao. Then maybe it went to uh, sugar or? Well, no, no, no. The first industry here of the state of Bahia was always as, you know, as, as it is, it was in Brazil was sugar in general. Oh, okay. So uh, Bahia originally had a lot of sugar mills and, and production. Which and is cacao was where a second our sugar one. comes from. Right. Most likely, yeah. Yeah, it is. Not, not From cheesy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're great. Okay, so we then entered a phase in Bahia where there was a lot of inequality and there was some jealousy. And then right. we had witches' broom introduced. And it's not so much a theory anymore. It's quite proven that it was purposefully brought in yeah. in some form of agricultural terrorism. Bioterrorism. Like, yeah, yeah, bioterrorism. Yeah, we can call it that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when, when you have uh, powers, the power that, that the, the farmers and, and the system in Bahia uh, and in Brazil up until then, mostly, um, were based on a big estates. So they were owned by families, traditional families that came, like my great-grandfather, who, who actually was able to multiply his his farms you know by being you know a good entrepreneur and developing his skills and improving upon uh his production uh, and, and like him many other families did that and they owned a lot of land which gave him a lot of power and a lot of political power and back in the 70s and early 80s uh, the left movement started growing in brazil and um one of the issues in Bahia especially was that they were dissatisfied with all this power being concentrated in the hands of so few people. Mm. So some crazy, I don't know, um, people just like decided that they needed to change that. And, and they had this incredible idea of just like getting some form of stabilizing or giving equality to the general, to the people, and just taking this power away from the kernels of cacao, as they were called. And by introducing uh, a fungus that was really devastating, uh, and I'm pretty sure they didn't know the, the how much of the consequence would be. Uh, we can mention some numbers like uh, 250,000 jobs were lost in less than four or five years. Direct jobs. These were people that were hired to work at farms. And I could estimate that maybe a, it's closer to a million, a million of like indirect jobs. So within four years of witches broom being purposely introduced in order to try and create more equality, the industry was brought to its knees and 90% disappeared. Which right. caused a lot of favelas. It caused a lot of poverty because it actually hurt the right. poorest people the worst. Not only that, an exodus of the rural areas and then the loss of maybe one or two generations of workers that now, uh, people like us, they are trying to, to renovate and, and, and get this back to a, to, you know, close to a productive level that we, we had before. 
have no access to to labor that eventually was floating around this region because it was available. It was there. Right. So in 1989 is the estimate when right. it was introduced. It was started. And these these folks bust in. They they went by bus across. Right. Uh, they had kind this. of a vast area that protected by you yeah. from the spores. Right. So they bust in diseased branches, branches and leaves. Yeah. And tied them to trees. Right. It's important to say that the witch's broom is not was not created by any, anyone. Witch's broom exists, and it uh, the fact that it really spread out so much in Bahia is that the climate here has a little more variation than in the Amazon forest. And that it naturally occurs in the Amazon, but it doesn't really put a dent into production as much as it did oh, here because okay. we had moments of drought. And then when you have these moments of dryness is when the fungus, just the spores just spread out through the wind. And uh, it, it really is a challenge to, to control it. And we, we live with it up until today uh, because it spreads through the air. I mean, you can have your orchards really clean, but your neighbor isn't. And then the wind just blows some of those spores back towards you. And right. And so part of this drain. revival and healing process that's happening now that you guys are part of has to do a lot with um, looking at genetics that are less susceptible to the disease is that right right yeah so. it's been it's been a work done by some pioneer farmers and uh, we're so grateful and, and thankful that some people were observant and they were insistent in trying to get um, determine certain type of trees of, of within their orchards that were more resistant or actually were immune to mm -hmm. witch's broom and they isolated those genetics and then replicated them within their orchards to make sure that those you know, were facts and did some, some really scientific experiments. And I know that was tough and took a while. Huh? Took a long time. And we had two or three rounds. And I know for a fact that my dad, you know, who, who had a farm and, and worked for many years and was really upset about this whole thing. And he tried the, to use some of the initial genetics that were available. Uh, and those were, were not working very well. So up until like the early 2000s is when we finally had some research, maybe mid 2000, 2005 and six, we started seeing some results that were really encouraging. So now some of this genetic material is available and we are introducing them back in the orchards to be able to at least defend ourselves a little better. Yeah. Can you give us an idea of how much was lost to witch's broom? Like, let's say it's 1996 you're about to go harvest or, or your whole season, what is lost to the disease or just disease in general? Well, I mean, we can put this into perspective very, very fast here. This farm at one point uh, was a 75 ton uh, productive farm. And now um, maybe 10 or 15 years into Witch's Broom, you didn't even get a 10th of that, like maybe four or five, six tons at the most. Ouch. So you lost 90% of your crop. And a lot of people decided that they didn't want to deal with it anymore. So they transformed well, was, their farms <laughs> into coffee farms. It was already hard to do. Exactly. And then when you add 80% exactly. loss to disease, right. it's crazy. It's and, we, we, and we still have that in the formula because we do lose about 
30% on our second harvest of the year, maybe 40% to witches groom. Because it's wetter. Because it's wetter, because it's colder. It's right after winter. Mm -hmm. And then it really spores out. Okay. Wow. Yeah, well, it's a challenge. You, thank you for sharing this with us. Sure. It's a fascinating story and you lived it. Yeah. Well, yeah, through through my dad and through uh, Juliana's dad and, and it's sad and, and we know of many other families that really suffered and and now it's our turn to maybe try to turn it around. Yeah, I think you'll be the generation that figures it out. Yeah, we're trying. Well, thanks again for joining. Pleasure. Until next time. Until next time. <laughs> Hi, guys. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd appreciate if you subscribe and give a review. This helps other chocolate lovers like yourself discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great day.